is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. My guest on today's show is Chris Chamberlain, a friend, collaborator, and someone who shares my passion for building a more sustainable and equitable world by focusing on developing solutions to our biggest challenges. I'm also very happy to now call Chris a colleague and a business partner as we've joined forces to amplify our efforts to help bring about food systems change through projects like Plantega and many more to come. In this conversation, we dive into Chris's background and the journey that led him to Effect Partners. We also get into what Effect Partners is and the work the firm has done over the years. How the pandemic and the social unrest in 2020 impacted their work and focus. We then turn our attention to the future and why the work Chris and Effect are doing is more important now than ever before. But at its heart, this is a conversation about purpose, resiliency, collaboration, and finding clarity. I'm personally very excited for you to listen to this episode and get an insight into why I'm embarking on an exciting new chapter with Effect Partners. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Chris Chamberlain from Effect Partners, thank you for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Thank you for having me, Neil. So Chris, we met, as we just discovered, about a year ago this week uh, through our common friend Dotsie Bausch from uh, Switch for Good. And uh, I don't think either of us could have predicted uh, we'd be having this specific conversation after the kind of year that not just us, but everyone has gone through uh, that changed a lot for a whole bunch of people. It really led to uh, you, Effect Partners, and myself kind of embracing a whole new chapter in our journey. So I think this is the, it's it's funny that we just realized that it happened exactly a year ago, t- probably today. Um, That's right. What what will year two bring with us, Neil? That's the question now, right? I mean, the, fr- the first year set a pretty high bar for uh, a lot of reasons. So uh, <laughs> eager to see what year number two may bring for us. Yeah, we had no expectations. So I guess now we should probably just try to do the same thing and have no expectations. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but anyway, before we talk about what's um, what we're about to do next and some of the great ideas that you and Effect and, and hopefully I'm going to have going forward... Uh, to do the kind of work that we feel so passionately about. I want to go back um, 
uh, into your background and your beginning with Effect um, and how did you end up in this role um, with the team that you're working with right now? How did it all begin? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy story and it has multiple chapters and it covers a, a long period of time. So I'm going to try to do a, a short version of this. Uh, you know, it's uh, you know, my, my background is, is really in kind of reputation, crisis management, environmental, uh, environmental issues in particular have been a, uh, a real staple for my career for 20 plus years, actually. Um, starting my career on a super fun cleanup site, uh, which uh, at the time in my early 20s, uh, not really knowing what I was doing, uh, being surrounded by the U.S. Army and Shell Oil Company and Fish and Wildlife Service and this big, complex environmental cleanup operation. Uh, you know, really just, it really kind of was a catalyst for two things for me. One is this deep fascination about the intricacies and intersectionalities of, of the environment that we all share, uh, just the fascination of it uh, uh, from the technical side of, of it. Um, and then the other side of that is just this this real a passion to to work as a communicator and a coalition builder to just help people understand this this planet that we're we're, we're living on, and that that really was a a jumping off point for me. Um, it, it, after I uh, a period of time, I spent about ten years at that super fun cleanup site. Um, it's outside of uh, Denver, Colorado, called the Rocky Mountain Arsenal, um, and and transitioned that site into a national wildlife refuge. Um, after spending that kind of tenure of my career, I, I jumped into um, really more active crisis management work. Um, and that was really where I started to, to really have a strong passion for food. Um, in, in particular, uh, worked on uh, a very high profile case uh, involving, uh, folks may remember that first big E. coli case involving spinach. Uh, when that, uh, unfortunately, Kyle Allgood, the little seven-year-old boy, is, as well as others, passed away from doing nothing more than having his morning smoothie. Um, and it was it was really that, uh, again, that was another kind of flashpoint for me, this real fascination and, and real intrigue and passion to just help people understand how connected our food is to all that we care about uh, in so many regards. Uh, you know, that, that work, which was, was done with, a, with, with our, my friends over at, at Ketchum, um, also came at the time when uh, kind of the Al Gore era really kicked into gear and Inconvenient Truth came out and, and there was this obvious kind of acceleration of global warming on the corporate stage uh, and social stage. Um, and that really led me to um, an amazing opportunity, frankly, to uh, be a, uh, a senior counselor to Procter & Gamble uh, to help advise them on their corporate sustainability policies working on everything from palm oil to ingredient disclosure, chemical transparency work, uh, obviously climate change, emissions reduction, uh, life cycle assessments, right when they were really starting to take hold. Um, it was really through that work, and that's going back 10 years ago now, that um, as, as Procter & Gamble was really stepping into the light on, on their first real, real provocative consumer-facing sustainability campaign, um, that I was introduced to Michael Martin, uh, who's uh, my business partner, uh, our business partner uh, at Effect, uh, founder and CEO uh, of the business. Um, and Michael and I together uh, worked on a plan to, to really guide some of that early work for P&G 
uh, uh, where we launched several sustainability initiatives uh, with several of their brands. And Mike and I, um, you know, very quickly just uh, uh, fell into uh, a great friendship and alliance uh, and uh, really congealed around the power of just, again, bringing people together to try to help people make better sense of this intersectional world we all share, this planet we all share. Um, and, you know, so that was really the background here of how, how I got to Mike was, was through this, you know, constant curiosity and acceleration and really trying to put myself into situations where I could, uh, again, use my skill set and my own curiosity to help try to advance progress on on climate, food, sustainability broadly. What was Effect doing before that? Well, I, I know you said you met Mike through this project, but yeah. uh, you know, Effect has a long history. When you tell people it's been around for this long, most people wouldn't right. have guessed. It's a great story. Mike, you know, Mike really worked uh, his butt off to, to, to build just a really fascinating uh, enterprise. Uh, you know, Mike started out as a, a nonprofit, actually, Concerts, mm -hmm. concerts for the Environment. Um, which, uh, no surprise, um, he helped bring together the power of music and live music as this galvanizing force to uh, really um, connect dots on environmental issues, galvanize actions on, on various causes. Uh, Concerts for the Environment really kind of, kind of was, was one of the first, I, I, I would argue to say it was the pioneer. I, I don't know of another entity that can really claim the mantle of... Uh, of the position of, of really bringing again, music, art, and culture as this unifying force and this catalyst to address big prominent environmental and social issues. Um, and after a period of time, 10 years or so with, with the nonprofit, uh, more and more brands as kind of quote, corporate social responsibility. And, you know, that era was really starting to take hold in the nineties. Um, you know, there's more and more brands starting to look at building purpose directly into their value proposition. And, uh, you know, Mike wisely flipped the nonprofit into more of a for-profit uh, so that he could do more broad-based consulting work with brands and organizations, um, innovating new ideas, uh, building coalitions to tackle big causes. Um, and, you know, some of the hallmarks of that work are just stellar. I mean, one of the first ever global warming campaigns came out of Mike's work with Ben and Jerry's and Dave Matthews Band. Uh, Mike was on the forefront uh, in the early stage of the organics movement. Uh, out of an old personal passion of his, growing up uh, in in a kind of an agricultural part of the of the country, concerned about pesticides runoff. Uh, he had some personal health issues associated with that, and you know, really put him and his team and our our crew from a legacy standpoint at you know really at the at the leading edge of the movement when, when whether it's organics or global warming or renewable energy and carbon offsets um, you know if you really look at the case study library for effect you see a lot of those early stage programs really came out of michael michael's work and, and the team that uh, he had assembled in those early stages so yeah the you know really um i the from the first moment i met mike um and he you know and i, I asked him to come on board to help collaborate with png you know two two things that i just just hugely fond of just this uh, really big, passionate belief in the power of, uh, of, of a superordinate goal, bringing something bigger to the table that everybody can really see themselves in and use that as a force for change. Um, and then the other part of that is just this real strong purpose first mindset. And, and that was some, something that really spoke to me from the, from the moment I met him. Um, 
Mike has always, perhaps to his detriment <laughs> from an organizational standpoint, has always led with purpose over profit uh, and, and has always done the work out of the greater good. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's, uh, he, he deserves a, a ton of credit for really being that early stage pioneer in that, that kind of purpose mentality. Yeah, I mean, you look at it now, and especially after 2020, but, but you know, I would say even in the last four years, there's been sort of a growing movement um, for uh, to build purpose within organizations. And it seems like it's this new thing that's happened because uh, people are starting to get generally more aware of the impacts of their lifestyle choices. They're not only understanding how them as individuals are contributing to some of those terrible things that all of us keep complaining about that threaten this generation and generations to come. But on top of that, uh, becoming aware of the fact that you are part of larger systems uh, by virtue of just the uh, the places you choose to spend your money uh, or the, the causes you choose to support. And so I talk to people now, and I'm sure you do too, who... who um, you know, have regular jobs or work for corporations that don't have, uh, that maybe passion is 20% of the thing that they think about or, or it's the thing that they, they think some people in the organization are tasked with thinking about. Um, all of them are starting to feel this pull to do more meaningful work, especially after a lot of the events of last year um, and are starting to question what it is that they do, how it contributes to the world. And if they aren't doing something that's adding something positive, what's the point? Um, and I think you and I, and probably Mike at some point, um, and others who are part of your team have all felt that at some points in their lives is that I can, I can continue just doing, uh, you know, making a decent living, doing good work, or actually doing good uh, in the process as well. So anyway, I don't want to take us too off track, but I had to, you know, everything that you said right now made me really think about, um, especially when I hear about people like Mike and, and others who've been doing this for years before even I got involved in the space or even started thinking of purpose as being my driving factor in life. Um, it's, it's, uh, I think we are well positioned in that sense to, to tackle some of our challenges going ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, a lot, a lot there. You know, I think the the one thing that we talked about this with the small crew at, at Effect, uh, we we refer to it as origin stories, meaning what what was the path to for us to lead with purpose personally, right? I mean, it's clear what the company, you know, what our what our company stands for, but why did we all decide to take this journey? What brought us here at a, at a personal motivation? I think that's really important to establish that that culture of purpose uh, to really all connect as humans on, on what those motivators are. And, you know, for, for me, after doing, you know, much of most of my career up until this chapter, um, very much was in that kind of agency game, you know, chasing big leads, big projects, you know, running up the ladder of the, you know, multinational agency structure, you know, honestly, I got to a point um, in, in my path where I, I reached a kind of, career moment just four or five years uh, about four years ago now where um, I had to make a decision do what did I personally want to be guided myself by profit over purpose and and I really got to a reflection on that uh, at this stage of my life and my career that it was time for me to find alignment and and I spent as you know a bunch of time in, in Asia before returning to the states and 
um, you know, the Japanese philosophy of Ikigai was really just so influential to me uh, as a, as a, a clear compass uh, that guided me in that moment of truth. And, and, you know, for me, it, you know, a lot of times I get this question from, from other practitioners and friends in my network, like, you know, I'm at that point, I don't know what to do next. You know, if I, I could take this job over here, but it's got it's paying me way less money and it, but it's better aligned with my purpose. And what should I do? It's, you know, this isn't for everybody, but for me, mm-hmm. when you, when you, when you make that decision to say, you know what, I want to be purpose-led, I want to do more rewarding work. The first thing to kind of grapple with is that profit imperative. We say that to our client, corporate clients all the time, right? Like if you're really serious about this, you got to put profit, you know, purpose over profit and so forth. But that's true at the individual level too. You know, you've got to be able to look at this and say, you know what? Yes, I could continue to to climb corporate ladders and maybe get paid more money and get the burnout factor and all that. But if you're truly committed to you know your own purpose, then then I would argue you, know, you really got to practice that personally, mm-hmm. and and put that purpose front and center in your decision making in terms of where you're going to spend your time. How do you want your best skill sets to be used to shape the type of future? that you want to see. And I think that, that at least to me led to a big, mm-hmm. you know, a big awakening and, and ultimately led Mike and I back together. It was really that decision that really brought Mike and I back, not just as friends and allies, but now as business partners. And I, you know, I, I think of ourselves as, as the lucky ones, partly because um, not that because we have figured it all out, but because we at least know what our purpose is. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of people out there who are, who are, who are searching and, um, and at least, you know, finding your purpose is one step and then being able to, to align your life, um, your work um, to, to, to meet that purpose is, is another matter completely. But anyway, we can probably spend a whole hour on just that topic. But, uh, you know, let's just go back maybe a year ago, because I mentioned that right in the beginning, uh, Jan 2020, about this time when we first met um, and you were... What was effect thinking about 2020 at that time? Obviously, this is pre-pandemic and pre-everything that happened last year. What was what was 2020 supposed to look like for for you and the team? Yeah, one thing that uh, among the many sharp memories I have of that a year ago, uh, you and I uh, huddled up uh, together for the first time. Um, you know, I, first of all, I just have to say this out loud on your podcast. I was such a fanboy when I first met you, cause I'd been listening to your pod for years. And it was just such a, we, you and I hadn't had a chance to intersect or connect at all. And so it was just a, it was a real pleasure to, to have you know, such a robust discussion with you. I remember very well about, uh, you know, frankly, let's be honest, some cynicism, right. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you and I both really bonded and connected over, man, you know, what's, what's really going on here? Are we really going to be able to do some of these big things, you know, rebuild food systems, get more people on plants, um, address the climate crisis the right way and so forth. Um, you know, and I think it's, it's, uh, uh, so I, I, with that being aside, you know, our vision for 2020, um, was robust, man. We had a huge year built for 2020, it was super exciting. Um, and it was really the culmination of multiple, years, frankly, of work uh, that we had done to lay this ground for, for 2020 to be a big breakout year for us. Um, you know, the legacy of Concerts for the Environment going back to the beginning of Effect, you know, are, we are known uh, for our robust work in the music industry. And um, the big hallmark for our year in 2020 is we just had a number of amazing artists that we were going to be collaborating with. Um, 
uh, Roger Waters and Rolling Stones and, you know, additional work from U2 who had just wrapped up uh, their tour the year prior. Um, other bands that we were working with, amazing friends at, at AEG. And, and, you know, it was really felt like because of the election and, and because of the year that we knew it was going to be, <laughs> that this was going to be a very big, very loud year for us to be very, uh, really pushing, pushing uh, the envelope on, on progress, whether that would be continuing to advance our, our work on, on, on plants, uh, on eating more plants. I mean, we, we had just, this is one sliver of it. We had, we had done two years worth of work to really line up the Earth Day 50th anniversary mm. to be this amazing opportunity, 500,000 people on the National Mall celebrating this iconic milestone in the environmental movement. And we had done amazing work to build a coalition and a campaign to put plant-based food system revolution on the agenda for the first time, really aggressively in that forum, right? This unification of food and the climate movement. Um, and, uh, you know, that's just one example, right, uh, of, of uh, different things. We had things going on with the Olympics with Switch for Good and our good friend Dotsie. We had, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so we had a very robust calendar in January 2020. Um, and, and of course, um, you know, I, I know this is shared with so many people. I, I talk to people all the time that had just really exciting work that was going to come out in 2020. I still think I would love nothing more than to, you know, build a website or some sort of uh, uh, temple, if you will, to <laughs> to the work and the ideas and the creative that didn't get its time in 2020. We need to memorialize that because I, I know that there was a lot of just really powerful, powerful mm -hmm. uh, concepts uh, that either got shelved or just, you know, are, are now, you know, irrelevant given the, the, the rapid transformation of the world we're living in. Yeah, I know we we need a we definitely think I think someone needs to work on some sort of a digital project of a or an art show yeah. of like what could have been on so many fronts, right? Everyone has their own story. It'll be a it'll be a huge one though. There's one more I, I just want to flag. I don't think I've ever mentioned this to you before. And I, I can't. I don't, I'm not going to disclose you know who it was, but we were we were really close to a major milestone in which we almost had an agreement from a major touring artist to uh, have nothing but a plant-based tour. Now, wow. If you've worked in music and touring mm -hmm. before, you know, like cruise and catering, that's like sacred ground. Like you got to feed your people well. So, you know, to get to the point where we were now talking to tour producers about mm -hmm. removing animal products from the tour, as well as single use plastics and big aggressive things, it, you know, I'm eager to see the music industry come back into our life. I know we all are. Uh, there's such a big catalyst for so much change in our life. And, uh, you know, again, those were that just to give you another example of the types of things were like literally on the doorstep to to to, to introduce. Yeah, I know. I I remember when when we when we we chatted first, and you were telling me about all the the music industry work. It, it I hadn't really thought about the music industry for twenty years at that point. It was actually the first industry I wanted to work in because um, I you know I had a little band in in law school, and my initial goal was to be. Uh, an entertainment lawyer, except the music industry collapsed around the same time uh, because, you know, the Internet in the early 2000s. Uh, and so I, I decided that wasn't going to be a viable career option for me. And I'd rather use my my law degree to do other things. But it was interesting. Obviously, music is still a, a big passion for me. Um, and I, I think you're right. It's going to come back. And it's what's going to be interesting is when, when all of this comes back um, and leading up to that point, 
how do we develop these these um kind of these these interesting solution based uh, collaborations that can bring say the plant based food movement or the sustainable um reusable um cups and container movement the work that you've done in sustainability and intersected with other cultural forces like music and entertainment so to me none of this exists in isolation food is everywhere it touches upon each and every industry out there and and, and it's going to be you know that that's the i guess the silver lining amongst many i'm sure we can find uh after a crazy year is that we're able to hopefully see the bigger picture and perhaps reimagine um some of these systems that previously were moving forward really fast and we were kind of trying to catch up and hopefully get them to do the right thing hopefully maybe we can reinvent them from the ground up at least being that's slightly it. optimistic which is tough for me sometimes yeah that's it <laughs> and so of course you know let's uh so what happened in 2020 right what didn't happen i guess is the question um so covid how did that obviously it obviously changed all the work you were doing yeah. in live events um what did effect do how did you respond what was obviously the concert at the on the mall for earth day didn't happen and that was just the beginning of a lot of a lot of cancellations and changes yeah you know i think that the the obviously this is uh forgive the pun here the hindsight 2020 joke but um <laughs> You know, as we look back and evaluate kind of our path through the through the darkness here uh, that has been, you know, COVID and and uh, the justice uprising and the economic struggles people are having, and uh, now of course um, the, the questions on democracy itself. You know, this is going to sound like a little bit weird, but you know, we I look back on it and and think, you know, we we lucked out in a way because we were so heavily, heavily in, in invested in 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 live events and and experiential marketing and the music industry. You know, we obviously got hit hard. We got hit right away. It was uh literally the day that our sister company, our cup, was a, was to be acknowledged as one of the most innovative companies by SaaS company uh down in, in South by Southwest. Literally that day that Southwest, South by Southwest got canceled, right? <laughs> um, within 24 hours, uh, we dropped about 75% of our booked revenue for the year. Um, you know, it was immediate and wow. sudden and dramatic. Uh, so, you know, I know that experience wasn't the same for everybody. You know, mm-hmm. uh, others maybe were able, you know, it took a little bit longer for the ramifications to settle in. Some are still, you know, have been on, on nothing but an accelerated ride uh, for, from COVID. But for us, the 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 uh, the impacts were so fast and so sudden that we yes it was painful I mean, we had to let staff go we had to you know, draw it out so we had, like everybody else scrambled to do everything we could to just stay alive but it really forced us very early on in the covid period to get to beyond the chaos and into the retro introspection the soul searching the, the re-envisioning and reimagining of, of who we are in this time, um, you know, as a, as a purpose-driven company uh, that, you know, we, we, we celebrate this passion of, uh, and this value of resilient joy. Um, this work, pushing people down the plant-based continuum, fighting for food justice and, and, and the rights of, of workers on the front lines of, of our food systems, um, you know, working on climate change, Yes, important. These are the questions of our time, but they are 
deeply, deeply difficult and, and they're emotionally difficult to work on. You look at the, you know, you look at food security stats, you know, uh, you know, one in three, one in four families are hungry. You know, when you're on the front lines of this stuff, you know, personal uh, sustainability and emotional sustainability is, is also part of the job. So our value of resilient joy, no matter how hard the work is, find, find opportunities for, for love and laughter. Um, you know, really, we leaned on that value on, immediately. Uh, how do we come together as a small team and support each other emotionally, but also get to the business of, you know, how do we, how do we find our resiliency through this and emerge stronger? And, uh, you know, we spent the bulk of April really with that question. Uh, and, and it was hard. I mean, obviously, you know, we were like we are now 3000, 4000 people dying a day and COVID I mean, rampant and, you know, toxic political environment and so forth. But you know, I'm super proud of, you know, the team and the commitment and our resolve. Um, it really, you know, we are, I've said this before, you know, we I think I wrote about this, you know, through pandemia, we found our own purpose. Like we, we became a stronger enterprise because of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we dropped some pretense. We got focused and real clear, real fast about where we felt we could be the most valuable to society in its current form. And, you know, that really led us together. Um, you know, that, that was really the impetus behind, you know, our motivation to, uh, use our our stimulus, our government stimulus plan, in a very unique way, and and form this team called Food Fighters, and and really, really go back to you know, what we did is really went back to our core. We said, what do we stand for? Where can we have the most value? What do we have the most expertise in, so that we have authenticity and, and legitimacy? And it was just clear from the mo- you know clear right away. Um, you know, food is the cure. You know, food is the food is the a healthier, more sustainable, more equitable, and just food system is the cure for COVID. It's the cure for climate. It's the cure for for justice and in, in, in all forms, a healthier society. And you know that that really is is what we held up uh, early on, and what and that's been really the flag we've been trying to uh, carry forward uh, very aggressively ever since. Yeah, I mean, well, there's so much there. I, I don't know where to begin, but. Um... Uh, when I remember you reached, we obviously were touch in touch during the early days of COVID. Um, and I, I kind of, I felt like every few weeks would find out, uh, um, how this was affecting, obviously affect your, your team and, and the work that you were doing, but in generally just the sense of now what, <laughs> what's next. And, and I know you were, you had previously mentioned a, a that effect wanted to do more work in the food space um, and had been building towards that anyway for 2020, but perhaps um, this, this kind of forced your hand to, to dive deeper into it. And what was interesting to me was the way you went about doing it. And that's kind of how I, I probably got involved, but you know, I, I think it's worth, worth going back to that for a moment, which is even the way it was set up, you know, and I've said this to you, months after that maybe not right at the time but when you first said that you were you guys were thinking of putting together this this collective that would include a, a bunch of different people with different skill sets to brainstorm new ideas that could potentially and I'll let you explain it of course but mm-hmm. that we can incubate but I thought it was crazy for you know I thought it was exciting of course I mean why not I'm happy I'm sitting at home and doing zoom all day um 
I can give a few hours to to brainstorm. I love doing that with some interesting people. I kind of looked at it as that it was going to be a bunch of people chatting about some ideas and and maybe maybe something might come out of it. Did I have much hopes of it? <laughs> to be honest, not at all. Um, but here we are. So uh, why here don't you are. tell us what was the you know what was the thinking or lack of thinking at that time that led you to yeah. food fighters? It's a yeah, and it it's it really. I want to go back to the Earth Day piece because it, it really mm-hmm. does. There is an intersection there that uh, since we mentioned it earlier, um, and as you were saying that, I just remember those conversations. I remember having a conversation with you, literally the first week of April, right? And the, those are like two weeks after first lockdowns, mm-hmm. COVID really starting to hit. And still in the first two weeks of April, you and I were talking about whether or not we would be going to D.C. Mm-hmm. for the big event on the mall. At that point in time, again, this is still early days, Earth Day Network hadn't yet even canceled the event on the mall yet. We all saw it coming, but mm-hmm. the, the formal decision had been made. Um, and, and I do want to just you know, give a, a brief shout out. just super proud of the, like, you, you. You hustled and Dotsie hustled. We all we all came together in that when it was canceled and we were going digital and, and really over a very short period of time, put together a, a, a content stream for a v- virtual Earth Day event. And if you go back and look at that, um, very proud of the fact that the plant-based message was still front and center, even mm-hmm. with a virtual only event. And that was really, honestly, that was that among some other prompts was really what was the instigator of this idea, which was, um, you know, we could, we could take our, our PPP loan, uh, we could stick it in our back pocket, um, we could hang on to the money for as long as we could and just kind of ride out whatever pandemia had in store for us and try to, you know, survive as long as we could. That was you know, certainly very clear that that was a path. The other path was more built around, well, why we, we need instigators more than ever right now. We need fresh ideas, fresh perspectives, new approaches. We need to look at these, you know, this, this systematic failure that we're seeing all around us. I mean, for me, I think the biggest thing out of COVID is just how fragile everything is. Like, no, but I, I, I mean, we all had maybe some cynicism and doubts about integrity of, you know, the business community from a sustainability standpoint or NGOs being able to have the capability to do much about it. But I, I had a lot of trust in the institutions. I think you did too in some of our conversations, but the fragility and how quickly everything has crumbled was just mm-hmm. so present and shocking. And I think really that was our instigator is, you know, why we're not why sit on the sidelines in this moment this moment calls for people to step up and step up and really you know with all the knowledge and background we have on food and climate and sustainability and so forth we need new systems now more than ever like we've got to change the way at nearly everything about organized society in order to be grapple with these issues how food gets from what you know from source to to, to shelf to table um, how how increasingly economic people struggling with you know economic sustainability have access to healthy foods, um, uh, making sure that you know we're not creating a movement that is just for white privileged higher income individuals. You know these are these 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 big heady questions aren't going to solve themselves. We we just felt like it was our obligation uh, to, to do something more than just stick the money in our back of our pocket. So really where we landed was, you know, this idea of, well, what, what would happen if we put, put our, our network together, find, uh, you know, done 10 people or so that, um, we respected and admired 
but had never really had a chance to work with, hire them on, on some contracts to come in and, and really brainstorm and workshop, um, you know, some things that we, we might be able to tackle together. And, you know, uh, my background in, you know, communications, reputation, sustainable crisis management work, you know, among, uh, in that set, the thing that I love the most, frankly, is facilitation. Mm. I, I love facilitating, you know, groups coming together to, you know, get, get after something big facilitating this, I feel like I've been in active facilitation mode really ever since May 1st when we <laughs> launched into this. I feel like I've been nonstop facilitation mode ever since then. It's been exhausting, but it's just been remarkable, again, to see literal strangers with no background together, no no connective tissue other than the people that invited them to a, to a, a Zoom room, come together so quickly with so much creative integrity and so much passion and urgency to, to uh, you know, join forces and really look at the world the same way and say, yeah, you know, these are big, these are big, scary problems, but we believe we can be a source of solution for it. And I, and I think that that really was the, the motivation and drive, right? We had no idea where it would go. Uh, it was a huge risk financially for us, uh, but we just had a feeling that if we did this the right way and stayed, again, resilient, and follow through that we just had a high degree of confidence that it would it would lead to some positive outcomes and and, and thrilled that it has. Yeah, and, and you know as a as a participant in that process, um, I, I can, as I said right before this, which was I I didn't I didn't have any clear expectations in terms of any real output from the from the initiative, but the idea of Participation and collaboration and brainstorming definitely interests me. Always interests me, and as I said, it was it, it was a strange time. Everyone's work life was disrupted in different ways. Um, definitely had a lot more time on our hands, sitting at home with no travel and no no meetings outside of your home. Um, and so for me, I looked at it as there was there was only upside. There was really no downside to to participating in the process, and then. You know, it started to quickly become uh, the thing I looked forward to the most. It's the place where I was getting the most because it was so solutions oriented that in the especially in a time like 2020, and this is purely personal, a uh, time like 2020 when everything else became really just tactical. Let's just make sure, you know, okay, which uh, I had an event business I'd launched in 2019 towards the end. Obviously, that wasn't going to do much in 2020. So for me, it was just blocking, tackling, seeing what 20, the rest of 2020 was going to look like. And then I'd get on these food fighter calls and we're talking about new ideas and solutions. Um, and I became acutely aware of that very early in the lockdown that this, some, something, there's some people that are going to crumble and, and hide and, and, and curse what was happening in the world and others were going to rise up to the challenge and, and do something about it. And and I don't mean in an opportunistic way in finding places to make money out of the whole situation. If that was the case, I would have probably gone deep into the stock market and tried to figure out something there, as some people have done. But uh, instead, I said, you know, for us, it was the world still needs to function, right? You have um, you you have everything except essential industries shut down. Uh, people still need to eat. They still need to shop. I mean, I still remember, and I've said this before on the podcast, to walking into the Whole Foods in my neighborhood and the shelves were empty and right. people were just, it was like out of a disaster movie. And But the world still had to go on. People had to make a living. We had to, and this wasn't going to be the end. There was going to be a way out of this. It may 
it definitely took longer than and is taking longer than we anticipated it would. But there was going to be an end in sight. And so for, for me, the food fighters became and working with you guys on some of the initial ideas became that, you know, the, 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 the light that constantly was, uh, even if you didn't know where it was leading to, it became clear that it was, it was, it was an area full of positive energy to brainstorm great ideas. And, and I think that in itself, if nothing came out of it, that would have been worth it. Uh, from my perspective, and of course, right. you guys had more of the risk than than most of us did, or any of us did. Uh, we had only the upside, and uh, you know, it's kind of crazy to look back now. And of course, in the midst of all that, let's just not forget, e- uh, Effect and most of the team is based out of Minneapolis, right. Uh, and right in the midst of the whole Food Fighters brainstorm, as we were narrowing few ideas to pitch. Another big thing in 2020 happens, and <laughs> I can't, you know, it, I don't, I don't remember exactly how we reacted the next day, but it was again, yeah, I don't know. What was your first, like, you did you realize it was going to change the direction we took, and a lot of things took in our country, hopefully for the better. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I said, said earlier, like, you know, it was a blessing in in COVID because we got hit so hard so fast, um, and and music industry and that kind of, thing, you know, there was there was you know looking back on it, a little bit of, of there was some preparation we had some things to fall back on when that happened right we had again amazing legacy in food mike's been working in food for 30 years we it, it was easy not easy but there was a there was a thread there that we could lean on like okay so music's done but uh, for a while but hey we're all passionate about food since we've been working in plant-based for three years very aggressively we've got some amazing work going there food is essential now more than ever so I, I use that as like, okay, we had a place to kind of lean back to and say, okay, here's some stability and some solid ground to stand on. When COVID hit, you know, when George was murdered in literally our backyard and we had, you know, our, our communities were burning to the ground and, you know, we were, we were all out on the street actively with the community and we're going to mutual aid, you know, donation sites and just, you know, there was nothing to, there was nothing to fall back on, right? There, there was no... You know, to me that, you know, the immediate aftermath of George's murder was absolutely the most challenging, difficult time I've ever had in my career in terms of trying to be a leader in, a, in an organization and coming and showing face day in and day out to say, yeah, we got it. We got to find a way forward. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it was it was dark. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, we had we put a pause, brief pause on our food fighters work. I think we canceled a couple of meetings that week and, and we all, you know, had our, our rightfully so had our time to, you know, sit in space, uh, you know, with our community and, and really uh, evaluate where we wanted to go. And, and I remember we had a, a meeting internally, a, a small group, our, kind of our management team uh, and, and asked the question, you know, what do we do? with food fighters, do we, do we put it on permanent pause? Do we kick it into the summer? Do we wait for this to die down? Do we cancel it? Um, and everybody said immediately, hell no, again, it's needed more than ever. And we went right back into that group, you know, the, with now mm-hmm. justice at the center of the conversation. I think that was the real change there, right? Is that, you know, as we were looking at some of those early ideas that came out of the sprint process, 
yeah, you know, there was a little bit, maybe address this equation. You know, there was some equity work that we had on the board. There were some ideas, but we were talking in some other spaces, you know, and, and after George's murder, when we came back and said, yeah, we want to continue food again, food is secure. But now it was very clear to all of us that, you know, this was about, this was about justice. This was about access. This was about equity. You know, you and I sat on a dais at the national press club in February. Well, you sat on a dais. I sat in the audience. <laughs> um, you know, it was some research from, from Yale that we had commissioned with Earth Day and, you know, it was staring us right in the face. We've all seen these studies, mm-hmm. right? The plant-based movement has been too white for too long, right? You can look at any study and it all comes to that the same con- conclusion that, you know, the, the, the plant, that getting more people to eat more plants, even though particularly the, the black community has, has an amazing momentum in, in veganism and plant-based uh, for food sovereignty and for justice reasons, the broader movement and the brand leaders and the organizational leaders there's simply not enough going on to ensure that we are building an inclusive movement, that we are marketing and making products available in a, in a way that makes sense from an inclusivity standpoint. Um, so really, George's murder was another kind of catalyst for us to, you know, sh- uh, strengthen our resolve and our resiliency and, and pursue solutions that we felt passionate about. And, uh, you know, it is is. Uh, George's murder for, for us here locally that are in Minneapolis, you, you, among the other many different things that it has done for us is, you know, we have built such beautiful relationships with the local urban, uh, uh, the black urban farming uh, movement here, the urban agricultural movement here. Uh, you know, there's some dear friends doing just some phenomenal work in North Minneapolis, which you know, South Minneapolis gets all a lot of the attention for George Floyd, uh, and as well it should. George Floyd Square is there, uh, but North Minneapolis was heavily hit not only with arson and, and and the uprising, but North Minneapolis has been ignored in this city for decades, and it's it is the epitome of all of the horrible things: redlining, food deserts. It's all right there, right in North Minneapolis, and and through this work, through food fighters, and through our commitment to you know, really fighting for the future of food, it has really uh, brought us to such beautiful relationships here in the local community. Uh, and and I'm, you know, I, we don't talk about or celebrate that as much as some of the other things are going on right yeah. now, but um, you know, I'm really, really proud of our team here on the ground. Uh, Andrew Arietta, who I know has been on your show, has um, just uh, been such a force and an inspirational force from literally the first hour that we got the text message about George's death. Mm-hmm that today uh, the work he's done on the front lines here has just been extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine what it must have been that and I think I kind of, I mean, I obviously talked to you and we, we, we connected around the same time, but being right at the heart of where all this was happening, that first seemed like it was, you know, we, I, I, at least I didn't know what to make of it right away. It seemed like it was concentrated to what was happening in Minneapolis until we truly understood what, what really happened and then the way the country reacted. And, you know, it's sort of been the story of, of 2020. And, you know, we can, again, just go on a, uh, spend the next you know, 40, 50 minutes just discussing that because it is fascinating to see how, you know, these, 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 um, a seemingly unconnected string of events that unfolded in, in 2020, one more tragic than the next. Um, what it did, at least at least for me and for many people, and I think a lot of us on in, as part of the Food Fighters group uh, and your team at Effect as well, 
well now the team we're working with, uh, it was that it started to it it, it put things into sharper focus. At yep. least for me, you know, I, I've been I've been focused on the plant based food space and food sustainability for about a decade now, and obviously first got into the the space with all this passion because I was coming off a decade earlier, having spent in you know corporate America doing climbing the corporate ladder, just focusing on on accumulating wealth and and then I learned about food in 2020, 2010 and shifted my entire focus and I decided this is the path I'm going to pursue and I had all this energy going in and and then obviously we've seen what's happened in the last ten years. The plant based food movement has really you know. It's what seemingly come out of nowhere. I saw it happen firsthand. I was in the front lines, uh, seeing you know tiny startups like you know Beyond Meat go into becoming juggernauts that they are right now. And while it's all been amazing, I've also another thing that's happened. And if anyone's truly heard all my podcast episodes, or most of them will realize I've sometimes sounded a little jaded about what's what's been happening in this space. As as it got really popular and got very um, uh, and there was more money in it, and it was uh, it was now uh, plant based had sort of permeated the mainstream food culture. Uh, the focus shifted away from change and impact. Um, not at least not on the surface. On the surface, everyone was talking about saving the planet and, and helping animals and people. But to me, it often was just, it sounded like it was a lot of bandwagon jumping because of pure business opportunity. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that if you're, if you're into that. It's just not what I was into. So when COVID happened and then and George Floyd's murder, it, to me, it just put my passion into focus. That's what it did for me. It made me realize, oh, okay, I, I still am passionate about changing the right. food system. I'm still passionate about plant-based as a solution or whatever innovation comes out of the food industry. I still think we urgently need to change the way we produce, distribute, and consume food if you want to feed the world in 2050. Except I see a much... It's shed light on things that I wasn't really thinking enough about. And it made it clear there's there's so many people being left out of this movement because it's all becoming about high-tech the next uh, you know cool new meat or the big ne- next new wellness trend while people right here you know I live in 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 New York City now and you know a couple of miles away uh have no none of this these products are being marketed to them they don't have access to it and they're literally being left out of this entire new movement and equation which is and they're hungry for it more importantly so for me it just and I think for all of us collectively it just it gave us clarity. Um, out of the tragedy came clarity. That's that, that's well said. And exactly right. I would maybe just add urgency to that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know there was, uh, particularly those that you know like yourself and myself that's been tracking climate for for so long. You know we we always live on this kind of edge of our seat of urgency. We see the clock tick, you know, ticking down to the magical ten year marker, and know that we're running out of time to try to get this right. Kind of. I'm talking about fierce urgency, right? Mm-hmm. I'm talking about, you know, I remember those, you know, the June, July, you know, as we were, you know, still active out in the streets, you know, we were going to three, four protests a, a week and working 12, 15 hour, hours a day to to move our agenda forward with food fighters to try to get to those ideas that we thought that would really, uh, you know, that would really be 
uh, you know, impactful and, and changed the game in a, in a way that, you know, matched our desires and, and, and passion. I think, you know, really that urgency, I remember in the summer, we, we really got to a point very quickly where we said, you know, this isn't just an exercise anymore. Um, this isn't just a, let's toss around some nice ideas and, you know, have some fun with each other while pandemia is playing out. And it, it really became about let's, let, let's really, let's really dial up the urgency to find an idea or a set of ideas that we could take to market now that we could take and implement aggressively today, not just talk about doing something. Let's go do something. Let's go build something together. Um, and, and, you know, that, that really, you know, by the time we got into the late summer, you know, that's really where you look at the workflow and the project, you know, the, the project plan and stuff, then, you know, deadlines started to come pretty aggressive. And, and, you know, through that, we came up, you know, obviously with a, with a powerful uh, concept was with Plantega came directly from that. Um, you know, I know, I know we're set to, you know, perhaps uh, talk Plantega, you know, more expansively later. Uh, and you've already talked about it on one of your shows, but I, I, I just want to kind of share one little anecdotal from Plantega, which is, um, you know, we did, yeah, I'm, I am notoriously, anybody that has worked with me knows that I'm notoriously a, a sticky note fiend, uh, everything, <laughs> particularly in active facilitation mode. You know, at that time, my, my office wall was just full of sticky notes from all the different things that were coming out of our meetings. And, um, you know, one of our, you know, two, two of our dear friends on the food fighters, right? Eric Castro, how to be vegan in the hood. Obviously his work, it totally inspired us on, on, uh, on, on Plantega. Um, and also uh, ETEF, uh, DJ Cavum. Um, and the sticky note on my wall staring at me for months was growing up, the only fresh fruit was the lemon at the liquor store, <laughs> right? Like uh-huh. that, that was just staring at us. That came through one of our, you know, just insight sessions. And, you know, that really was with everything going on or so, so much anger and frustration with everything that was going on. Like we just had this beating heart to go solve problems. And, you know, that was really that North star for us. That was the real gravitational pull. Like we, we have to do better uh, in, in providing access to this lifestyle and to these foods and to this knowledge that we all have. Um, and we have to do a better job uh, on inclusivity and, and making sure that we are not leaving those most vulnerable, most vulnerable to, getting kicked out of their apartments from, you know, from, from uh, inability to make rent, those most vulnerable to obesity and health issues, those most vulnerable to rising seas and climate change and, and asthma because of emissions reduction, the most vulnerable amongst, and again, this isn't breaking news. We've mm-hmm. all said this. We've all heard this at every conference, every white paper. This is known truth. The most vulnerable to these issues are the ones least prepared to fight them. And if we don't rally up and do something about it, Who's going to do the job? Uh, and I think that's really where I, I think to your point, like that, that urgency, that fierce urgency in the summer post George um, and, and, and uh, all that came with it, um, you know, really was the catalyst for that. Yeah. And, you know, we wouldn't be sitting here and having, and and, and we have dedicated an entire episode to the, to the early launch of Plantega. Um, but, but, you know, it's been a few months now and, and we've, We've we have a lot more to come there, but um, you know, Plantega was. Uh, I could have never predicted that's where we'd end up. Uh, if you had asked me back in the summer, right. and you know, it took one, it took all these twists and turns to get to that point. But when we did get there, um, 
or that I'd be sitting in New York City now for that matter either. Okay. So, right. So uh, when we did get to Plantega and, and to me, what I love about the process, and I'm going to try not to say too much about it because it's, I, I'm, I'm just going to ramble for an hour if I do, um, because I, I am I'm deep. It, I, I didn't anticipate being as swept up in it. That's the way I've described it. It's as I've, you know, I've communicated this to a lot of people that in the last few months, Plantega consumed me. It consumed the, you know, despite my best efforts to not let it in the beginning, when I thought, you know, let's just, this is, this might go nowhere. We don't know what we're doing with this yet. We have to get funding. We've got a, this is, this is a, hasn't been done before. There's probably a reason why uh, it's not easy to work, to, to do this in the middle of a pandemic also. Um, but every step in the way we kept moving forward. And I think that's the only explanation I have for it. And it, it con I continue to feel that way. It's just, it, it's very rare that I get consumed by one idea. I'm usually at least doing 10 things at a time. And this was one instance where I was finding it difficult to focus on other things because this just felt urgent. And the word you used as well, it seemed um, timely, it seemed important, and it just seemed like, you know, there was no better team to, to execute on it. And so uh, I, I felt like all of the, the entire year was leading up to that moment. It was, you know, literally and figuratively as well. I think I... I ended the year knowing I was doing exactly, even though it, towards the end it was a huge leap of faith and a risk, uh, it was one that I had no doubt about because it just it just seemed right. And, and everything we've seen so far, and of course we still have a long way to go, has proven all of that, that, it, that people have loved it and um, we're going to continue to try to keep that energy going as we, as we do what we do next with it. Um, yeah, just uh, one last build there, Noah. On, is, uh, I mentioned earlier, I spent a, a fair bit of my career. Uh, I like to say I went to PNG University. I spent you know ten years working with with arguably the, the world's largest marketing organization. Um, and you know, there's a lot to say about PNG, and 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 I'm by no means an apologist. They they get a lot of things right. They get a lot of uh, some things wrong. Uh, but I will say this: um, some of the kindest, smartest. Uh, just compassionate people I've met in my career uh, from PNG, but there's they're also notorious for their regimen in, in how they approach solving marketing challenges, right? And, and a lot of it's no question that it's a good reason why a lot of you know, some of the more infamous and well-known marketers have spun out of of their of their system. And I remember uh, we were pitching. Uh, it was kind of the final stages of a, a pitch on the sustainability work we were working on, and uh, it was a bit of a mess. I'll be honest; it was it didn't really all come together. And but at the same time, you know, at knowing how PNG thinks in the regimen and the, uh, how they liked information kind of package and all the different steps to go through to test and validate and etc. We walked into this final meeting with the executive, and, and you know, he boiled it down to. You know, uh, all of that is fine, but really, what matters is if the hairs on the back of my neck tingle when I <laughs> when I hear the idea, right? Like, so, given all of their institutional knowledge, it comes down to you know an emotional response. And I've had that same reaction in Plantega. I totally agree with what you just said. You know, it's it's got that magic of, of that's indescribable. Right idea at the right time. I guess you could say, for use that worn cliche, but. There is some, you, you just know it when you're onto something, when you're onto something that's meaningful, that is needed, that you yourself have such an enormous amount of superpowers to bring to the, to the solving that problem. 
and I think um, you know we we absolutely found you know uh, uh, found that secret sauce, if you will, in in the in the work, and you know just couldn't be more excited about the year ahead, uh, years ahead that we have with that initiative. Yeah, yeah, and definitely we're gonna. I want to talk about 2021 now and, and to what extent we can we can plan and predict at least. Now, every time we plan for a new year, I'm, I suppose we're all going to have 2020 at the back of our minds and the fact that anything can happen. Um, but, you know, I, I found Plantega and the end, just to put a, to a, put a bow on that for now at least, uh, is that in, a, in the year where... For for me, where there were times in the year I questioned if I still wanted to do work in the food space, uh, and I questioned if the work I was doing was actually making an impact. And I think you know, early in the year, if you remember, this was pre-COVID. I actually reached out to you just to bounce some ideas because I was starting to wonder where I should put my energy. I was I had my hands in so many different things, and I was not really feeling like any of them was really making the change. I I started off to do all this work for, and yeah, I don't know what happened after that conversation. Probably COVID did, but uh, right. um, but but it's interesting that the year for me, even before COVID and uh, uh, and everything else that transpired, began with questioning whether this was this is where I wanted to put my time and energy. Ended with me really ending up us launching Plantega together. And leading into now 2021 and everything we have planned, um, yeah, it's I guess it's like I didn't have to make the decision and not to get too too woo woo about the whole thing, but it was kind of made for me. Right. Uh, you know, I had really it seems if I look back now, I really had no hand in it. I didn't plan this. There's no way I could have planned any of this. So you know, 2021, whole new chapter. Um, what is it to the extent you can predict it? I know we've been talking a lot about this in the last few weeks. Um, as we sort of, you know, formally join forces, not just for Plantega, yep. which we have been doing, but beyond that, um, right. yeah. What What do you anticipate? Like, where's the focus? What for people who are just a lot of people listening to this have never probably heard of Effect Partners until this moment. What the hell yeah, are you doing? Is the question. Yeah, you know, um, again, you, you already shared the story of how bullish we were on 2020. So at the risk of jinxing uh, another year by by saying we've got the perfect plan. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, a couple, a bunch of things I think come up for me, I think, uh, in terms of how we're looking at the year ahead, you know, first to pick up on the note you just left. We, we had this saying as we were going through pandemia, as much as everything's changed, nothing has, uh, meaning yes, yes, the world, you know, the whole new rule book out there of how, uh, uh, how the world works. Uh, but at the same time, some fundamental principles that were in place pre-COVID are still relevant and needed and, and viable. An example of that, um, you know, we knew at the start of 2020 that, you know, we've done all this amazing work running around the world with, you know, uh, you know, Bono and Mumford and Sons and, and different bands and, you know, very proud of that work. And it's all it's all very exciting. Um, but the reality is nobody nobody knows who we are. Uh, we, spend, you know, it's, it's easy to get lost in the music industry uh, because the artists themselves are such the galvanizing force for good reason. Um but, you know, we knew at the end of the start of last year that we really wanted to, um, you know, to be a purpose-led company and not have a strong commitment to your backyard and making sure your own neighborhood and your own local place that you do business has got that, that you're offering your wisdom and your strengths to, to strengthen, um, uh, you know, your communities. 
um, you know, we, we had set that in motion at pre-COVID, really super aggressive about that now. So, you know, again, you know, some of that came from George Floyd and what has happened since. Uh, but we've got, you know, uh, we, we really believe that, uh, you know, Minneapolis may not have wanted this, uh, you know, this, uh, this platform, but it does have a, a powerful one now. And, and we believe there are opportunities here for us to not only lend ourselves to, you know, helping solve local problems, but also just being a, a galvanizing force and bringing people together to, you know, lift up this city because it, it needs it. And so that that's one theme for us. An element is, is certainly um, here, here in our own backyard. Um, it, broader lens, um, you know, really what's, what's formed for us is uh, really three big areas, I would say, uh, of focus. Um, we, well, but before I get into those three, the, you know, first and foremost, because of the experience we've had together in Food Fighters and, and, and the successes we've had and, and, the, and the, uh, the outputs of that, first and foremost, we, we absolutely are embracing this kind of interesting positioning that we have to be kind of a social impact incubator. Um, you know, we, we want and, and, and increasingly see ourselves as being a force to help look at barriers to progress, bring together unique voices and intellect and expertise, solve, help solve those problems and bring new sustainable companies and enterprises and organizations to help sustain impact long-term. So, you know, I mentioned our sister company, Arcup, which tackles single-use plastic waste. We launched that company in 2017, 2018. Um, some of the design for Food Fighters was born out of our incubation of, of Arcup. So really for us, it's like, hey, this, this is who we are. We, we love this innovation, this incubation. Again, seeing ourselves kind of in a unique niche of being this kind of, you know, unique collective of, of interesting energy and fresh perspectives that can really help move things forward in a way that maybe some traditional agency structures just can't because of, of the weight of, of the business model. So first and foremost, we've really invested a lot of, of, of our, uh, ourselves in building out effect as a social impact incubator, increasingly developing a pipeline of innovations like Plantega uh, to, to, to bring to market. Um, three big areas that, that for, for us uh, that, we've, that we believe that we've, we've got uh, every right to, to be a powerful source of solutions for one is in literacy, what we call literacy. So, um, you know, you know, this, Neil, you've been such a champion for trying to connect these dots between what we eat and, and important issues like climate and environmental quality. You know, your, your quote that still sticks with me, killing the planet to feed ourselves while the food we're eating is killing us has just been like just this galvanizing force for me. Like people need to hear that. They need to know that we need to help people understand this intersectionality. <clears throat> so using our skills as communicators and campaigners, how can we raise the collective awareness and education, the literacy of the intersectionality between food and all of these other issues we care about? So literacy uh, uh, and then accessibility. Again, Plantega is, is a direct access solution. How do we make it easier every day for people to be able to access sustainable choices that are better for them? And that's about giving them access, right? So how do we break down, be disruptive forces to break down barriers that make it more accessible, more easy to tackle, whether that's, you know, going plant-based or, you know, trying to tackle the mountain of food waste, the other big issue that we have, of course, uh, how do we make it 
you know, more accessible for people to, to have that positive behavior change reinforcement of an action they can take on a daily basis to reinforce kind of a, a progressive positive uh, movement forward. Um, and then, and then the last is resiliency. And, and that's really more of a consultative uh, space. You know, how can we help mission aligned organizations, those that look at the world like we do, you know, uh, our group is just so robust. You know, we've got crisis practitioners and labor, or, you know, folks that come out of labor organizing, you know, marketers, communicators, uh, you know, pr- producers, uh, artists like ETF. Um, you know, how can we be a source of resiliency for others in this fight? Uh, how can we help them look at this crazy disruptive landscape of COVID and justice and depressed economic issues? You know, again, now democracy and, 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 the, and all that's come this week. How can we be a consultative source of solutions for other organizations to make them as strong as possible? Because we need every, you know, we need everybody. As if this period has proven anything true, it's man, we we can do big things, but if we are not resilient and working together and helping each other out, build more robust operational discipline, and uh, then yeah, these things are just going to get tougher and tougher. Overall, you know, I think our our food work and our our, our focus really is to help accelerate the drawdown, right? Mm-hmm. If you look, leaning on our good friends over at Project Drawdown, like, you know, we, we've, got the, we've got the energy and the enthusiasm and the creative ideas to help get more people on plants, right? To get that plant-rich diet more, uh, more accessible to more people. Uh, we believe we can absolutely help bring, you know, next-gen farming, regen, urban farming, online, soil integrity, big part of the drawdown solution set. Uh, you know, we think that we can, uh, the work that we've done in, in food waste uh, and, and food systems waste, again, start to cut down that energy, again, a big part of the drawdown equation. So really accelerating the drawdown is where our focus is from a food standpoint. Um, you know, how can we really bring our our core team and our collective to be a, a source of fresh perspectives and energy for 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 that ultimate end goal? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it to me, the, the exciting approach uh, the exciting opportunity here uh, is this idea that you you don't have to be one thing, that you can find the you can find where the gaps are, and you can find where uh, lack of attention is being played uh, is placed by others. Whether in the case that's how Plantega came about, and and find out what what the right solution is. Is it a is it a campaign? Is it a project we can incubate and launch ourselves, or is it somewhere where we can play a supporting role for an existing organization or um, or a brand that is doing interesting things but just doesn't have the internal capacity uh, to do it themselves. And I think, you know, there over the years, I've seen that happen. It's as, as, um, as nonprofits mature, as uh, startups mature, uh, they try to take on too much too soon sometimes and don't quite know what they're doing. Um, right. And everyone, and they think they need, uh, and they usually go to the usual suspects. They assume they need marketing help or they need uh, PR help when there's a lot of things that are in between the lines that are all of that and none of that at the same time that can truly help them not just obviously achieve their business goals, but fulfill the mission and the purpose that that most of them I think I still believe majority of them are actually uh, building their businesses on. Um, I, I, you know, as as jaded as I can be sometimes about uh, the progress that's happened in the food industry, 
I do think that the, there's a lot of really well-meaning people across the spectrum from farm to table. So, you know, not just your sexy CPG companies, not just your crazy cool food tech innovations, but also people that are doing really fascinating things when it comes to urban agriculture, indoor farming, uh, community efforts to encourage um, more consumer adoption. I think you need you need all of it. You know, I've I've you know, like most people, my thinking has evolved over the years. I you know, my original uh, thesis was pretty simple. It was uh, the basics that I learned about economics is that you get people to really want something, and you increase the demand, the supply follows. Uh, and I and, and in some ways that's played out in the food movement in the last uh, seven or eight years where consumers have been demanding healthy, more sustainable foods and the plant-based food industry has responded. And we now have, um, you know, the market has matured, but we do need, of course, we need more policy solutions to, to really accelerate the growth. But more importantly, we need um, a lot of these companies that are in the early to mid stages of their growth. Uh, to be resilient, like the word you used again, right? Resiliency is something that's really become my big new word in 2020. <laughs> it's that, yeah. you know, I, I kind of had an aha moment at some point where I realized that everything I've been framing about sustainability um, was purely around why, you know, why we need a food a sustainable food system was so that we can slow down the pace of climate change, mitigate the threats of climate change, and I re it became very clear to me in 2020, it's not just about slowing down and preventing the worst of climate change. It's also dealing with the impacts that are already happening because climate change is here. And whether you want to draw a direct correlation to COVID or not, but the pandemic is just one amongst many disasters that we're going to encounter. And the year, let's not forget, the year started off with wildfires in Australia. We seem to have last year started off with wildfires in Australia. And I, you know, I lived in California. I saw what was happening there constantly with, with these intense, more frequent, extreme weather events. It's going to be happening again this year, unfortunately. And so while we fight the, the you know, why do we try to draw down and we try to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and minimize the waste we're creating and minimize our land and freshwater use, so that we don't end up in a worse scenario 10, 20, 30 years down the line. We also have to face the reality that it's this race against the time, we've been losing it for the most part in the last decade. And so some of the bad things are already happening. How do we, how do we withstand that? If you're a company based out of California producing plant-based meat or cheeses or eggs, and you don't have contingency plans for not just pandemics, obviously, but for... Uh, natural disasters uh, and, you know, in certain cases, man-made disasters too, you are really going to have a tough time in developing a sustainable, long-term growth-focused business. So there's so many really complicated, hairy challenges to tackle here. And I think it's it's kind of exciting. I think, I think you're I think we have less answers than we at least know what the right questions are <laughs> that we need to right. answer. Yeah, and I think you know, I think that can be you know that that fact has been a, uh, a an obstruction to progress and change. Meaning, it's so complicated, it's so intersectional, there's so many intricacies here, and I think a lot of organizations and brands. I'm not being critical here. I think it's just natural course. Kind of get cent centered into this silo of like, okay, it's so so much 
con uh, confusion and complexity. We got to live in our narrow view of our own space here and just kind of do what we can in a kind of a small version, right? Mm -hmm. um, stay in our stay in our lane. Mm -hmm. You know, get our product to market. We got to do this you know, let's appeal to our investors. Kind of hit our quarterly marks. I respect that. I really, really do. However, I think that we are now at a stage and it's just been, a, you know, if, it, if the last year hasn't made this abundantly clear, I don't think it ever will for anybody. We, we don't have that kind of time anymore. Like mm -hmm. we, we've got to get our heads around the fact that, um, you know, we have got to accelerate more aggressive systemic change, not only systemic change in how the world works, but how we work on the inside too, and how we think about collaboration and coalitions. I'm really, I'm really thrilled just sitting here in the moment that we're in, like I'm really thrilled to see the corporate community aligning and pulling money out of politics in the moment that we're in. Mm -hmm. Big disruptive force right there, right? Um, what I would love to see, uh, um, you know, that same type of unity happening across the food space, across our food space uh, uh, entities, to really start to look at where we can join forces and unify on collective action on things that are happening right now w regarding food policy, regarding climate change. I mean, uh, again, give, give some applause to the Dotsi and the team at Switch for Good. You know, going in and aggressively fighting the dietary guidelines made real change this year. They got real things done mm -hmm. on the dietary guidelines. And I bet you if you pulled a lot of people in the movement, they'd be pretty cynical about the outlook of that happening. <laughs> um, and, you know, you got line three here in, in the state of Minnesota going in, a big climate uh, bomb happening in our backyard. I'd like to see people more unified and getting together, you know, to, to stop uh, stop, I, you know, stop development like that. We're going to have, you know, nobody's happy. I don't believe in our movement with Vilsack at the head of, mm -hmm. you know, the, you know, but if he's confirmed, you know, let me just, you know, button this up by just saying, I think this last election, this election of 2020, there was a lot of good indicators from our friends over at environmental voter project that this last election really was, there was a lot of climate voters that came out and made real difference in races. And, and it, and it was used in a way that hadn't been used before. I project that, you know, what I would love to see is is really the food community come together to be a political force, more aggressively in more unified ways. Again, great to see Switch doing its thing, and I know other NGOs are doing their things on advocacy and trying to get different bills passed and that kind of thing. I'd love to see it all come together, right? Unified. Let's fight for the common vision that we have, because if we put together our resources in that coalition um, from a local, regional, and national level. You know, there's a lot of power that come un untapped power that can come from that, and uh, I really would like to see that emerge as uh, something that really starts to look like it comes together this year and, and heading into subsequent years. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a, such a such an important point because there's so much cynicism everywhere right now because of the state of um, of the erosion of trust over the last year and several years um and this emergence of almost um post-truth era right where you don't know what to believe everyone believes their own version of the truth um you know i used to think in the age of information ignorance is a choice at this point it really depends on where you're looking your idea of of knowledge 
it really is, is a choice. You can choose to have the wrong knowledge enter your, uh, enter your brain depending on what kind of information you consume. And then you attach yourself to those beliefs and your worldview is shaped by that. We're seeing that surrounding us where you can, you know, you can show the same, like what we discussed, we chatted about this the other day, we, what happened at the Capitol. You can show different groups footage and they'll all have different explanations to what's going on. Um, and I think the the thing, and to bring it back to, to the point you were mentioning with um, with politics and how... I think these lines are blurring the age of, you know, let's keep politics out of business. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you if you, there are certain issues we can all have disagreements on and we can still be respectful of each other. But there, I think with the beauty about what's happening right now is that eventually what is good and what's right is going to emerge out of all of this. And I think everyone's being forced, whether you're a you know small startup, you're an established uh, company, um, whether you're in the food space or beyond, you're being forced to confront where you stand on some important issues that impact the very nature of what it is to be a human being alive today. And if you don't say something about it, you're literally out of touch. And, and your employees are going to know that. And of course, your customers are going to know that. Um, and it isn't just a nice to have now. You people, that's the beauty also of the age of information is that there's really no place to hide. <laughs> so if you believe something, and uh, your, people are going to find out. <laughs> And and if it's if it's something that is against what the people who work for you or buy from you believe in, um, and if it's the wrong thing, then you, you're you're not going to harm yourself in the long run. So I think there's a lot of exciting, interesting opportunities again in the midst of yep. all this madness. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. If anybody doubts that uh, eventually that accountability doesn't come, um, just check out the news from uh, former Governor Rick Snyder uh, overnight about. Uh, finally facing charges for Flint's uh, water crisis. Uh, took way too long to get there, but eventually accountability comes. And, uh, um, you know, I, I think, you know, again, I, I think uh, the, the, the Edelman Trust Barometer came out today and it shows, you know, clearly for the first time, businesses are more, tr you know, trusted uh, around the world than, than, than NGOs and government. Now's the time, you know, now's the time for, for businesses, small businesses, entrepreneurial businesses, new startups, mature companies, multinationals, wherever you are in the spectrum. Um, it is up to us. It is up to us to be the source of inspiration and solutions to, to problems. Um, it's no longer good enough just to, um, you know, in, improve your margin by a quarter of a percent over the holiday cycle by, you know, flooding the airwaves with whatever, you know, marketing message you may have. We have to work harder than just, talking about the benefits of our product. And I think, you know, to me, it's about, you know, this is, uh, yeah, we, we have got to move into this transition of thinking of how we move out of the age where, where the convenience and consumption economy drives is, is, the, is the motivator and where more of a sustainable, compassionate economy starts to take hold. And I think we're in, you know, 100 years from now, we'll look back at this was the time that that was happening. Mm -hmm. This bridge was happening, you know, but that bridge doesn't get built without people like us. And, um, you know, I think we are at an incredibly exciting, provocative time to really accelerate that path. But it's tenuous. You know, we know the forces that are out there. And, uh, you know, again, resilient joy, man. You know, we got it. We got to <laughs> stay resilient. We got to stay on it. Uh, we got to try to keep our heads about us and have fun doing it. 
Um, but you know, now is now is the time to be loud and proud and productive uh, in, in in building the systems of the future. Yeah, I'm totally with you, definitely on that. And you know, just to close this out, um, what is the end goal? Like, what is this all for? And you know, end goal, of course, this is it's an ever evolving um, process and and time frame here, but. In, as you, if you've heard the podcast, you know this. I give the year twenty fifty because, to me, that's something we're hopefully going to live till then, if you're lucky. Um, and the world then is going to be something we're going to be proud of. Oh, it's it's going to be uh, something that we we saw coming, and we yet were in, um, weren't able to do anything about. You know, when we we first met a year ago, we we were talking, we were sharing our cynicism about the future, about how. Uh, too little was happening and too slowly. Um, and so, but yet we have no choice but to do what we can do to, to, to change that, right? And so what is this all leading up to for you in terms of, you know, I want your answer to this, uh, you know, what, what your personal take on this is that if, you, if we get it right and if we manage to, to bring about this, this change that we hope to see in the world, what is, what is your vision of sort of, let's just say the food system, but society in general, because I know, you know, limiting it to the food system is impossible because it's also interconnected. But yeah, what do you see 2050 looking like if you are able to fix some of our problems with that food system and these interconnected issues that are all tied into it? What does that future look like? What's the silver lining? What's that vision? Yeah, I, you know, I, I get it tips my hand there a little bit. Like, again, I think I think we're talking about a, a, an, an, econo- an, an economic reality that looks vastly different than the economic reality that we have today. And by that, I mean the, the instruments by which we current, our vocabulary we currently use to define economic success is going to sound much different than it does today. Um, you know, it, and there are some people on the you know very front lines of this movement, you know, particularly uh, you know within the B Corp uh, you know crowd. Um, you know, they've been long at a, you know a different articulation of a business structure, of course. But where I'm going with like the economic vocabulary is like, you know, I I don't I don't see a world in 2050 where where we are constantly looking at what the Dow does, uh, right? The Dow being this, no matter what happens in the world pretty much outside of some extraordinary events like the moment we're in now, pretty much every newscast you listen to everywhere in the country includes what the Dow did that day or is doing that day, right? I don't think we see that in 2050. Mm-hmm. I think, I think uh, determining success and talking about the success of the country and the economy, I think will be a much more different set of metrics and reporting than what we are used to today in terms of quarterly profits and earnings and uh, again, Dow performance. Um, you know, I, I think the work that the team at Harvard is doing on impact-weighted accounting and really, you know, very forcibly kind of getting to a point where we start to really, truly hold, uh, uh, tackle externalities in our economic system so we truly have a true cost of the goods and services that we need. I, I really believe that we're on the forefront of that, you know, really overriding the rules of, of uh, what you and I know in our lifetime to be kind of uh, capitalism, uh, uh, the, the rigid forms of capitalism, I think I think it will change. That's not to say there won't be profit as an imperative in that picture. Mm-hmm. It just means that there will be balance, I believe, to that picture. Um, from a food standpoint, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, um, 
the, what what more exciting time to be alive? I mean, it's just so exciting right now seeing the innovation coming out of the team at Just and you know David Young's work in Asia uh, and Omnipork and all the rest, right? Mm-hmm. Just uh, you know Chris Kerr's work at at, at uh, Good Catch. Um, you know, I think we're gonna. I, I, I'm, I think it was Branson that was among many who said, you know, we'll look back and think it was ridiculous that we were reliant so heavily on animal agriculture to feed us. And I, I think we got to be there by 2050 or we're going to be having a much darker conversation. Not to say everybody's going to be totally on plants and, you know, mm-hmm. animal agriculture is completely gone away, but I think we will, we will be, uh, I think we will be shocked, frankly, at how quickly that acceleration took hold and how far we have come by the time we get to 50. Um, you know, and of course, you know, whatever that shuttle looks like to Mars or wherever else Elon Musk wants to take us, um, we've got a whole nother food <laughs> culture to think about, I guess, by the time we get to 2050. But anyway, I, I, I think one, one last thing I just end on this, uh, and this on this note, cause I think it's, it's so often overlooked, in, you know, where we're talking about, about this space and movement dynamics and, and doing big things. You know, I think we'll absolutely look back and see a much different relationship between employee and employer, right? Right now, that's a very transactional relationship for the most part. Uh, People are hired to do a specific thing and they're rewarded financially for achieving those things. You know, I I, I think there's a lot of, you know, uh, this there's a there's a a very active revolution and redefinition of what it means to have an employer and employee relationship it's just starting mm-hmm. and there's a long way to go here but i i you know i really um you know what we're trying to do is build a business that is empowering the energy and creativity of others to fuel progress and mm-hmm. i really think that's going to be more and more of a force for for organizations the organizations that get talent, relationships, recruiting, development, mentoring, uh, empowerment, uh, of course, justice and inclusivity, very much at the center of that conversation. The, the employers and the teams that get that right now are going to be the ones that we're going to say in 2050 are the ones that are, are winning and they're leading the way. I, I really, truly believe that. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, that there's, there's a, some that are getting that a lot. There's some that are learning painful lessons when it comes to that right now. I think there's some that are getting it right, uh, but I think there's a huge amount of innovation and excitement and, and uh, there's a whole new way of thinking about that relationship moving forward. So I, I, I wouldn't sleep on that element at all. Love that. Thank you, Chris. This has been fun as always. And I'm sure this is uh, first of many discussions about <laughs> this and many topics down the line. So thanks for the time today. I, I truly appreciate it. And I'm excited to build this future. If, uh, if I may offer one thing for your listeners who, who if I, as I mentioned earlier, I was a fanboy when I first met you, I'm a huge fan of your pod and, and, and all you've done with, with Eat for the Planet. Um, incredibly honored and, and grateful uh, that you have jumped on board now with Effect and, and our, our, our partner at my side in this, in this fight. Um, I want your listeners to know that absolutely no disruption with the pod and eat for the planet. Uh, there is no change in that at all. And, and, and I know you're eager to kind of push forward with your, your work. Um, this is just another thing for you to be doing on top of that. It is not instead of, so fear not eat for the planet. Uh, I believe, uh, will be around to guide us to 2050. 
Awesome. Thank you. And I couldn't think of a better way to kickstart 2021 with this podcast too. So uh, appreciate it and uh, excited for what's next. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe, rate, and review the show. To learn more about this podcast and the Eat for the Planet books, go to eftp.co. That's eftp.co. Thank you for listening. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.